Welcome to Simply Summer. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Today is January 10th. Welcome to episode number 278 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, me, you, and all the chat, Tom Bishop, Poner Joe on the West Coast coming in, John S. will be breaking down the top cybersecurity news stories of the day. And I'll be giving my expert analysis on each of those stories and what it means to you as a practitioner. So how can you operationalize this at work today or this week? Or if you're looking to break in the industry, there's going to be massive value here for you as you deal with context, as you hear terminology, as you network with like-minded professionals who are also supportive and inclusive. So if you have any questions during the stream, feel free to ask. The only stupid question is one that is not asked. Believe that. Now, before we dig into the show, get into the news, do some tidbits and jaw jack, and I'd love to share the stream sponsors with you. Great companies, love them, starting with Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil, but Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Links in the description below. Also, you can see I brought them up here on stream as I always do. Half a scroll down. There's Eric Taylor, the CEO and lead investigator at Barricade Cyber's calendar. Super approachable guy, very knowledgeable guy. You get right on his calendar, 1130 AM layer today. Why would you do this? Basically, if you're a business of any size and you don't know what to do if you get ransomware or if you have a cyber incident or you get a ransom email in the in the in the your email inbox, or all of a sudden you know, Pam and accounting's like, uh, we paid that invoice and the, the vendor's like, no, you didn't. And then now you've got this like business email compromise issue on your hands. It's nice to have, you know, basically a cyber 911 to call. And that's what Eric Taylor is. So get that in your, um, get that in your workflows. Okay. Also want to shout out and throw lots of love to recon infosec, the people behind Thursday defensive. If you don't know Thursday defensive, uh, either Google it or wait till Thursday because I bring it up every Thursday. Eric Capuano, Whitney Champion, great company, been around for a while. What I want to tell you about is their MDR service. If you're in need of a service that provides your organization with literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, managed detection and response, you need Recon InfoSec. Their transparent offering includes the people, process, and technology needed to deliver full-spectrum security operations to organizations of literally any size. 10 people, 100 people, 1,000 people. That's the cool thing about MDR, guys. It scales really well. You just drop more endpoint agents on, push more telemetry to one central console, and you got staff that knows what they're doing. Whew. When you actually get Recon's MDR, um, you get access to their analysts, engineers, their architects, their SIM platform, their SOAR platform. Um, it's pretty bananas what you get for the price that you have to pay. Unlike many of the you know commodity MDR providers, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to get sued, that offer big promises and little value. I've used a couple. I know a couple people in chat are currently bound by contract to a few of them for a little bit longer. Recon MDR takes a different approach, a security first approach. 
that provides real answers and effective defense. Basically, it's a security company led by security people, which is a key differentiator. Check them out, reconinfosec.com, links in the description below. Now, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. I want to remind you that you do have to check out um, your uh, certification organization's bodies, policies. I know CompTIA, I've heard and, um, uh, you know, I haven't validated this, but I feel like it's pretty true based on what I remember. You can only do up to 10 CPEs for CompTIA certifications using the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing, but ISACAS, ISC Squared, those ones, you're golden. Let it fly. Uh, half a CPE a day, two and a half a week, 10 a month, 40 a quarter, or 30 a quarter. Just say what's up in chat. That's how you kind of like uh, do roll call. If you're on uh, replay, hashtag team replay in the comments if you're not sure. Otherwise, provide some pithy remark. Uh, I always go back and read the comments and uh, it always cracks me up. You know, sometimes people are commenting on the actual stories, but sometimes they're dropping funny things uh, in chat and it's fun. So if you're live, love it. I see 109 of you here, 116 of you here. Good morning to all of you. We're going to get right into it. Thank you all so much for being here. Want to remind everybody, it is Tidbits Tuesday, a new um, a new show concept that we're doing. So stay tuned for the mid-roll for that. And also, also, remember, we are raffling off um, OSINT using Recon free course, like the entire course, uh, later in the show at the mid-roll. So stay tuned for that if you're interested in getting literally, like basically a... Um, a course in using a really, really cool OSINT tool. It's basically like Metasploit, but for OSINT uh, from a leader in the space, Joe Gray. Uh, I'll be doing that and also telling you how you can get uh, CPEs for doing it because I figured I found that out this morning too. All right. Let me just say what's up to everybody in chat. What's up, Sumant? Hey, Alicia Jerry. Hey, Usha412, John Har. Guys, you may have noticed I started the show and then went right into the intro. The reason being, actually, someone messaged me and said, hey, <laughs> um, you know, basically starting with like a rave party for the first minute and a half of the show is cool. But they were watching it uh, in their office and their boss walked in. They're like, the boss like, what are you doing at 630 in the morning um, with all this uh, like rave music? And the guy is like, uh, it's it's actually a professional show. And the boss was like, mm, long eyed. So. I've decided I'm going to at least try to go with more of a true professional podcast intro where it's a little bit of music and then the intro. We'll save the jaw jacking for the end. Right, Robert Mueller, Joshua B. Mood, Mudasir Anasari. Good to see you, Nathan Bowen. Let's get into the news, guys. I'll meet you at the mid-roll. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. API vulnerabilities found across car brands. Yuga Lab security researcher Sam Curry published details of vulnerabilities in car manufacturer APIs, which opened the door to fully unlocking and starting vehicles, accessing mission-critical internal apps, leaking telematic data, and full account takeovers. The flaws varied by manufacturer, but Curry found flaws in APIs from Acura, BMW, Ferrari, Ford, Genesis, Honda, Hyundai, Infiniti, Jaguar, Kia, Land Rover, Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, Porsche, Rolls-Royce, and Toyota. The most serious flaw came from Spirion's telematic solution. Exploiting it could allow for gaining full admin access, letting a threat actor issue arbitrary commands to over 15 million vehicles and remotely update device firmware. All disclosed flaws were fixed following bug reports from Curry's team. Yeah, okay, here we go. 
This is what I think of when I think of all these car vulnerabilities, okay? Yes, yes, it's 2022. Thanks, Joel Belton, for the super chat. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Soundboard is in effect, people. Sorry, no yeah. manual, no manual uh, sound effects today. So listen, guys. Security vulnerability, like, okay, connected cars, APIs everywhere. Start your car, check your mileage, have your manufacturer know what the gas pressure, uh, the air pressure is in the tires. Do tire rotation, detect a crash, notify police and authorities. Like, whatever it is, it's, it's wrapped in a cloak of good ideas and good intention. But, like, this is the first thing that comes to my mind. Like, dude, just because you can doesn't mean you should go ham on this thing and jam as much technical functionality that can hook into an app on your phone. Yes, I get it, car manufacturers. And like Jaguar and Mercedes and Porsche. You know what they want? They want telemetry and data. I flipped out about this last week. Like they want telemetry and data so they can sell the data, so they can upsell you on a new car because they can detect that you're driving like or you're not driving. They can identify which cars would be super sick for resale based on low mileage or how you're actually driving, how fast you're driving. Are you letting your 16-year-old use the car or not? Is it really? Dude, if I, if I had a nickel for every single person who told me that they just bought a, like, a great deal on a great used car, and it was owned by an old lady who only drove it to church on Sundays, like literally, I hear that all the time. I'm like, bro, like I got a bridge for you too. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm sure there are a couple cars, that Nana drove to the church only on Sundays, but let's be real. Like, you're being sold a car. Like, you're gonna be told, what are you gonna be told? Like, oh no, a 16 year old beat the beat out of this thing. No, right? So the, to me, the story is less, much less about API vulnerabilities in major car brands and more about um, a macro level uh, IT and, and general economy where it's not about security. It's about features, right? Let's jam up some features. Do you know what sells? Features. Do you know what makes our car different from their car? Features. And in all this API stuff, I don't know. It, now I'm starting to get into tinfoil hat area of speculation where like, you know, they hire, you know, like basically with government contracting, whenever there's work to do, they send out a bid and they they choose the winning company on two factors. Ability to do the job, Right, so you have to list all the quals, like who's gonna work on this project and what have they done before? Are they qualified? And two, price. And there's different kind of like uh, ways to choose, but a lot of times they'll pick um, minimum viable qualified, right? So anyone that isn't qualified is immediately removed and everybody that is qualified is in. That's like the, the Boolean ax that drops first. Then the second option is cheapest one. So literally a lot of times in these contract works, you're getting the mo you're getting a company that is qualified on paper at least and the cheapest one which typically you get what you pay for right so again i'm not saying that this happens in all these cases but dude ferrari builds cars they don't build software so i'm sure they outsourced the api functionality and the mobile apps and all that crap to another company and you know obviously that company's interested in delivering the value of hey look at this when a user drives four miles or whatever it will report their gas mileage to you it will report this and the executives at ferrari are like yes yes that's great that's all good nobody is asking like can you make are there undocumented api functions can, can anyone call from the api or just the app like how are we securing this no 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 no
right? Again, I'm 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 make I'm I'm taking some grand I'm taking some grand liberties here with some assumptions. But when all the car companies are suffering from this, it's a systemic problem. I, I don't think I'm far off on this one, okay? Bypassing experience security. Security researcher Brian Krebs passed on a report from researcher Jenya Kirshner, who found that threat actors were able to bypass Experian credit history checks in order to obtain a victim's full credit history. This would still require a person's name, address, birthday, and social security number. When requesting a credit report, Experian requires this information as well as several multiple choice questions on financial history. Until the end of 2022, simply changing the URL of the question prompt screen could get past the questions delivering the full credit report. Krebs alerted Experian to the issue on December 23rd, and it seems to have been patched by the 27th. Wow. All right. So anyone who has checked their credit or um, <clears throat> had to log into Experian or credit report or whatever... Uh, you may have seen, like, you get these questions, and it's supposed to be knowledge-based questions uh, that only you would know that Experian also knows because of, um, you know, having access to your credit report. Things like, wh which one of these vehicles ha have you owned in the past? And there'll be four options, and sometimes um, none of them are cars you owned, and oftentimes one of them is a car you owned, right? Or what is a mailing address that you had um, at one point? And it'll be something from like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, right? And that's how they uh, assume that you'll like uniquely identify yourself and that threat actors can't get it. Now, normally, normally these type of things are actually circumvented using a different attack where um, basically attack, uh, excuse me, threat actors will use open source intelligence, OSINT, to identify things like, you know, uh, what, you know, maybe they go back in your Instagram and look at cars that you drove or whatever, but usually it's like 20 years ago. So it's kind of hard to do that. Or they'll drum up a conversation with you, right? Socially engineer you. Oh, you know what? My first car was a Datsun 280Z. I loved that car. It was so good. What about you? Like, what was your first car? You know, stuff like that. This right here is much different. And it's kind of gross that it was so easy to circumvent Apparently, all you had to do was uh, change the URL and you could bypass this security check. So, so the security check of prove you are who you say you are was just kind of checking resident to the browser session, it sounds like. And the actual credit report was already available. And it was basically just kind of like, you know, a glorified splash page that you had to get through in order to get to the report behind it. So by changing the URL, you basically just got to access the report, which is a terrible, terrible uh, implementation. And I can't believe that a software developer actually developed it that way. This system has been in, in place for a while. Um, like I've used this system if, over, over the years. So the fact that they just found it's kind of gross. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but just changing the URL... I mean, that is an IDOR um, vulnerability, kind of. I feel like IDOR is typically where, you know, there's a parameter for like a unique ID number and you change that number and you're able to access someone else's record. That's more of a indirect, what is it? Insecure direct object reference. Is that what IDOR stands for? Team chat. Um, so anyways, they fixed the problem. You know, there's nothing to do here except 
be mindful if if your um if your if your company makes software that's web based like a SaaS solution or a web based application, you should definitely be doing web application um, security vulnerability testing and putting it through its paces. Um, or or your company should engage with a bug bounty platform like HackerOne or BugCrowd or uh, Integrity and have other people test it. Basically. That's right, Justin Gold. Fuzz them URLs. Trying to write malware with ChatGPT. Thank you, Leonardo. Thank you, We Leonardo. already know that OpenAI's ChatGPT text engine can theoretically write malware. Last month, a security researcher successfully got to describe a basic buffer overflow vulnerability, admittedly with critical syntax errors. Now security researchers at Checkpoint report dark web hacking forums are experimenting using ChatGPT to help facilitate and support malicious attacks. The researchers say this could open the door for actors with very low levels of technical knowledge to launch attacks or make sophisticated cyber operations much more efficient and easier. OpenAI's terms of service ban malware generation, and it attempts to block requests to create spam. One poster on the forum said they were able to use ChatGPT to create a Python-based information stealer malware, while another showed how they created Java-based malware to exploit PowerShell. All right, uh, Randock Gaming with the $5 Super Chat. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Thank you so much, Randock Gaming. Always nice to see you in chat. Uh, all right, guys, so no surprise here. Open uh, ChatGPT's, OpenAI's ChatGPT. This thing's been around for, uh, pff, I don't know, it feels like not very long, like maybe a month, but it's had a profound impact on our industry, on society already. We're seeing it used in all sorts of different ways. The obvious one, um, the obvious one is, you know, helping K through 12 students cheat on their term papers, right? But it can be used to write malware and code. And you should really think of ChatGPT as basically like an assistant, like an executive assistant or an ad, an admin who can really run down anything that you want them to do uh, and do it fairly well. They do make mistakes, which to me is why, um, I don't know if you guys have played this, but for me, ChatGPT is actually very useful if you already know what you're doing and you basically just wanted to grind through a bunch of work that you can fact check or vet after the fact. Um, so that, that's how I've seen it be used. They're talking about using it to write software. I have seen, speaking of Recon InfoSec, right? I mentioned them, they're one of the show's sponsors. Uh, Recon InfoSec has actually used ChatGPT to integrate into some of their defensive tech uh, security technologies. So when um, when a uh, alert fires into their sim, they can they've actually built uh, Python scripts. I think it's Python, but anyways, it calls ChatGPT's APIs and pushes um, you know telemetry to ChatGPT for lack of a better term, which then does a bit of an analysis and comes back and updates the ticket. Uh, with information around that, like, hey, ChatGPT, like, what is, like, what DLL is this system function uh, associated with, for example, right? Or um, I know Andrew Cook over there actually used it to write um, Yara rules and Sigma rules um, and have a, have a translation engine. Because ChatGPT, you don't just ask it questions, you can train it, right? Another use case I've seen, I think Jeremy Williams in chat, what's up, Jeremy? I think it was Jeremy Williams in chat. Somebody told me the other day, you can, and I'm going to do this on stream, by the way. I'm actually working on a video right now using ChatGPT. Uh, I'm going to feed in a resume and then ask it to write me a better resume 
and write me three cover letters, one for like a manufacturing company, one for a tech startup and one for a hospital, right? Like um, you can use it to save you a ton of time. That's the main thing. So it's no surprise that a new technology comes out and it can be used for good as I've just outlined, you know, with a couple examples. And then threat actors are gonna jump right on it. Threat actors are super innovative, they're, hot, they're hungry, and they're very, very motivated, okay? So if they're using it, you know, you gotta watch out for that. Now, the one thing I will say is OpenAI does get all the queries, right? So they, they should be able to identify when malicious requests are coming in for malware and, and try to game that, um, but we'll see how it goes. I, I've, here, who, Matthew Hibbert. Thank you, Matthew Hibbert, for the super chat. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. So uh, I think that there is a way that we can, uh, ChatGPT can stop malware from being written by identifying that malware is being requested, but it's not perfect. I personally have asked it lots of cybersecurity questions. Sometimes it says I'm violating the terms of service, but it'll still give me output, right? It just says that I'm violating and it's been logged. Uh, and sometimes it'll just choke on itself. So anyways, if you guys aren't playing with ChatGPT, it's an absolute must. You must try it out. It's crazy. And it's wicked easy to sign up for too. SCOTUS clears the way for Meta to sue NSO Group. The Supreme Court of the United States turned away NSO Group's appeal of a lower court decision that ruled Meta could proceed with a lawsuit accusing NSO of exploiting a bug in WhatsApp that installed spyware. NSO argued it could not be sued as it acted as an agent of an unidentified foreign government when it installed the spyware. The White House urged SCOTUS to reject the appeal, saying that the State Department previously has never recognized immunity for a private entity acting as a foreign state agent. And now that's really interesting. That's interesting. Like my uh, Big Lebowski. That's interesting, man. That's interesting. Uh, all right. So the Supreme Court's letting Facebook sue Pegasus for violating WhatsApp. Now, this is really, I mean, this is really interesting. Okay. So <clears throat> this is complex. I might have to get a lawyer to weigh in on this one. This I don't know if anyone knows any lawyers in chat. I, I, I know a couple, but I think, I don't know if this would be in their wheelhouse, but this is a really interesting question. Here's the deal. Pegasus software was essentially a super effective, very, very quiet, zero click, meaning no user intervention required spyware. You could send it to iPhones. You could send it to Androids. And for a while, NSO Group, for the right price, right? A, a court, you know, they, they're supposed to have ethics and they're supposed to only sell it to law enforcement and governments who are going to use it for defense. But in reality, they're using it to spy on their rivals and poli you know, political rivals, dissidents, uh, people who want to uh, revolt and upset the current authority regime. So anyways investigative journalists. So NSO group would sell it to whoever they would use it. And then bad stuff will happen. Now, the way that they were able to do zero clicks was by, uh, exploiting software that was on the phone. Presumably WhatsApp was one of those. Cause you can send a message to anyone on WhatsApp. If you know their number, right? I can't say I only want to receive messages from people who are in my contact list, period. End of story. It doesn't work that way. Once it's there, anyone can message you. Just like anyone can call your phone, which is why you deal with robocalls and scammers, because anyone can call it. 
Pegasus found out a way to exploit WhatsApp, which would force, essentially, uh, not force WhatsApp, but it, it would allow Pegasus to install malicious software on the device without the user's consent. Meta is saying that they are exploiting WhatsApp, which does not is not okay, and they're going after them. Pegasus is saying, I mean, excuse me, NSO Group is saying, well, we were actually working on behalf of a foreign government. They get diplomatic immunity. I'll see you later. <laughs> right? So it, it gets into a very weird thing with diplomatic immunity and does Facebook, a private tech company, have the right to go after a nation state that violated, I guess, its terms of use or whatever? I feel like normally when you commit um not a crime but like when when you exploit software to do something malicious it is a crime it is like a felonious crime you go to jail it's a criminal crime not a civil crime so i i think it's interesting that this is even being pursued as a civil crime like a like a business on like business on business action like like ooh cinema cinema no 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 uh, like Showtime after dark, like hot business on business action. Like that's what this seems like, which is really strange to me. I'm, you know what? I'm going to get a lawyer. I have, I do have lawyer friends. Uh, I'm going to get a lawyer and, and um, find out what's going on with this and get, get a statement. Okay. So stay tuned for that. Oh, a word from our sponsor, App Omni. Can you name all the third-party apps connected to your major SaaS platforms like Salesforce and Microsoft? What about the data these apps can access? After all, one compromised third-party app could put your entire SaaS ecosystem at risk. With App Omni, you get visibility to all third-party apps and SaaS-to-SaaS -SaaS connections, including which end users have enabled them and the level of data access they've been granted. Visit appomni.com to request a free risk assessment. You know what I feel? I, I do. I do want to say something. I do feel bad. Like I, I don't. I, I make no apologies for what I say on this show, but. Um, I'm just thinking of the the guy who emailed me and said, "Hey, like, can you tone down the rave music at the beginning because my boss came in?" So like, I did that for this show. He's probably sitting there like watching, listening to the show right now, and his boss came in. His boss came in, and I'm like, "Hot business on business action," and his boss is probably like, just like turn around, walk away. So my B, my B. All right, let's do the mid roll. All right, everybody, hopefully you're having a good time. Happy Tuesday to you. If you are getting value from the stream, if you're finding what I'm talking about educational, if you're finding the show format entertaining, if you're enjoying the people in chat and the engagement there, and you want to say, hey, I like this. Good job, Jerry. Do me a favor. Go hit the like button. I'm not begging for clicks or whatever, but by hitting the like button, it enables YouTube to identify that this show is liked by people who like cybersecurity, which is how you're identified. And it will go reach out to other people who are interested in cybersecurity and make them aware of the show. This is how we grow the channel. This is how we grow our community. Please take a minute and hit the like button only if you're getting value. If you think this is trash, don't hit the like button. I do want to thank Barricade Cyber Solutions and Recon InfoSec for their continued support uh, of, the, of the stream genuinely appreciate that guys we are going to do the raffle i want to let everybody know i completed the osid using recon ng course uh last week i took it i wasn't gonna uh be affiliate with it unless i took it and, and felt good about it i loved it it is worth three cpes when you complete it what? We just 
Three CPEs, guys. So if you want to um, win the, um, if you want to win it, hold on one second. The keyword is OSINT, starting right now. So Tom Bishop, try, you got to type it in again, buddy. OSINT, OSINT, OSINT. If you want to win this course, OSINT. It's Recon NG's, oh, um, hold on, it's, uh, it's this course right here. OSINT using Recon. It's a, it's a practical hands-on, get your hands dirty. Recon NG is a, a tool built by Tim Tomes, and it's basically Metasploit for OSINT. It's very, very cool. Lo get in there, hit the like, let's have a good time. While that's queuing up, I want to remind everybody, simplycyber.io slash newsletter. Simplycyber.io slash newsletter. If you want to get an email from me every Monday morning with three pieces of actionable intel that you can use to reduce cyber risk for your business immediately. I even had a guy who works in uh, marketing email me yesterday and say, Jerry, I don't even work in cyber. And every time I, like, I got on this newsletter somehow and he's like, I got to tell you, I, I see it come in on Mondays and I'm like, I got to unsubscribe from this thing. And I open it up to go to the unsubscribe and I end up reading it. And even though I don't work in cyber, I always take something away from it. So I'm not going to unsubscribe. Thanks. That was a message I got from someone who doesn't work in cyber, but they work in marketing. Uh, so I really enjoyed that. All right. It's Tidbits Tuesday, a new segment I'm trying to work into the show where I share a little bit about me that's, you know, maybe something that relates to you. Last week, it's I shared how I hate sour cream. Um, definitely interested in, in uh, you know, any ideas you guys have around different tidbits. But I did want to share kind of a fun tidbit, one that a lot of people don't know and seems a little unusual. I don't, I don't eat sweets. Um, and really, the only sweet that I even kind of uh, entertain is tiramisu. So my wife gets me tiramisu cake for my birthdays. Uh, it's probably because it tastes like coffee. <laughs> probably because it tastes like coffee but i do not uh i don't do sweets no i mean it's not i will i will eat them it's not like i'm like like if my kid handed me a snickers bar i'd throw it back at him i do eat it but i don't crave it i don't really seek it out i don't really like it i don't have a sweet tooth none of this stuff so that's a little bit about me guys all right, we got uh, 15 seconds before the drawing. Get your OSINs in there. Kimberly loves the sweets. All right, Kimberly. When we go on travel, Kimberly, we can we can split uh, the the meals there. All right, let's do the um, let's do the uh, drawing here. Good luck to everybody on your OSINT course. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Joel Belton, my man, Joel Belton. Way to go, Joel. You know how to get a hold of me. Uh, I also want to remind Omar. I think it was Omar Alvarez. Omar, um, I think it was Omar Alvarez won the OSINT using recon course yesterday. Um, he did not. He, I have not heard from you yet, Omar. So please DM me so I can get you your prize. Congratulations to Joel Belton. Guys, stay tuned. Tomorrow we'll do another drawing. Reminder. Thursday will be a team replay drawing for the course, and that'll be set up on the Discord server. Ping me on, um, ping me um, if you need me to tell you how to enter the Discord server. I will show you guys tomorrow on stream how to do it. I have a video for it. 
I'm going to set it up right after the stream today. All right, let's get back to the news. Serbian government hit with DDoS. Over the weekend, the Serbian government said they were hit by several massive distributed denial-of-service attacks, impacting its website as well as the Ministry of Internal Affairs. A spokesperson said that the ministry successfully repelled at least five attacks. It cautioned that its enhanced security protocols may lead to slower work and occasional service outages, but that ministry data remained secured. No group or nation claimed credit for the attacks, and Serbian officials did not attribute them. Interesting. Okay. Um, see, hey, this is me uh, kind of pulling on the community, guys. Like, who is Serbia fighting right now? I know we, we actually have some uh, squad members who are fr in the, from Serbia or in the Serbia area. Um, it looks, I mean, obviously, it seems like it would be associated with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Um, Kosovo declared independence from Serbia in 08, and Serbia doesn't recognize it. Oh, my God. Um, I don't know. Kosovo, yeah. Tensions in Kosovo have also been catalyzed by elections where authorities have delayed which Serb community leaders threaten to boycott. All right, here's the deal. Again, I, I don't know too much about this area of the world. I'm not going to, you know, speculate on, on completely un, unqualified statements that I might make, but I, I do want to, um, I do want to comment on something. Okay. The Serbian government said that its IT infrastructure from Ministry of Internal Affairs had been hit by a massive denial of service attack. Okay, denial of service or distributed denial of service, which is what the extra D is, right? Um, oh, Adam Novak says they've been kind of allies with Russia, and yeah, they're fighting Kosovo because of their Muslim origin and separatism. All right, thank you. All right, here's the deal. Oh, thanks, Navina, too. Kosovo, most likely. All right, here's the deal. First, the technical, you know, breakdown. Distributed denial of service attack. This is where uh, you send a massive amount of data to an endpoint or to an IP address or to you know some target, a domain, um, and you overwhelm it. Essentially, legitimate requests like me going to amazon.com can't happen because a threat actor or threat group has sent so much data to amazon.com that no legitimate request can get there that is the denial of service attack in a basic nutshell and the, the way that i always like metaphorically explain it is think of a um like a fire hydrant right and someone opens the fire hydrant up fully and there's just this like stream of water spraying out and you need to walk up to the fire hydrant and touch the top of the fire hydrant well as long as that stream of water is coming out I mean, you can really try, you can fight it, you might be able to get up there, but it's going to be slow, it's going to be hard, it's going to be an unpleasant experience, and the denial of service attack is the water spraying. Now, uh, distributed denial is essentially multiple endpoints coordinating to send traffic to a target victim IP or domain or whatever. And it, it's, it's the way that you do denial of service attacks in 2022, because like, uh, a single, you know, denial, a single endpoint denying another endpoint is you're not going to be able to produce enough traffic when you have multiple endpoints like a botnet or something like that or a memcache server exploit. You can overwhelm because you're coming from everywhere. And it's very difficult from a defensive perspective to block a single IP address. Don't accept traffic from Jerry's IP anymore because they're coming from everywhere and you can't really distinguish between legitimate traffic and illegitimate traffic. So you're basically hosed. All right, that's denial of service. Now, one thing that I am noticing quite a bit on is when we talk about cyber war 
and the military capability of cyber weaponry, we all want, I mean, me personally, I want to think of like Stuxnet and high precision espionage and, you know, surgical strikes with, um, you know, really cool elite zero day weaponry and stuff like that. Based on what I have seen in practice, in reality, if you look at how Russia initially opened the conflict with Ukraine, it was just massive denial of service attacks. There was some retaliation by Ukraine or the Ukrainian hashtag IT army, which was a volunteer force of global citizens wanting to help Ukraine. There was a denial of service attack on Russia's, uh, essentially Russia's stock market right? Denial of service attack there. We're seeing Serbia getting hit with a denial of service attack on their Ministry of Interior, like the way that they kind of manage their government. So it seems to me, and it's proving out, that the denial of service attack, while to me it's crude and it's not, it's it, like in the pantheon of, of cyber attack kind of taxonomy, the denial of service attack is kind of crude because it, it's not, it's not sophisticated. Like, I mean, building a botnet or whatever that, that is kind of, but like for the most part, it's, it's considered the lower tier of like sophisticated. Um, but it seems to be the weapon of choice for governments doing military attacks. So, you know, I guess if you're doing uh, military defense prepping, you know, defending from a denial of service attack, the likelihood, the risk calculation is that the likelihood's going to be quite high, frankly, that that's the type of, cyber war weaponry that you're going to experience it is it is interesting to note that in non-military conflict times espionage reigns supreme and a denial of service attack is the complete opposite of what you'd want to do in espionage yeah exactly bsec it is easy um oh see you later jack scott didn't see her in there good to see her um, I do want to remind everybody, uh, I should have said this during the drawing, Oaksin using Recon, there is a pinned comment on chat if you uh, that links to the course. If you want to go check it out and see like you know what it is, um, you can do that. Russian operations did not impact 2016 election. According to a new paper from researchers at New York University's Center for Social Media and Politics in the journal Nature Communications, they found no evidence of a meaningful relationship between exposure to Russian influence campaigns and changes in voting behavior in the 2016 U.S. election. The researchers used a longitudinal survey asking the same questions to the same group of people at different points in time to observe any changes. The paper found that exposure to posts identified as foreign influence operations paled in volume compared to traditional U.S. media sources. The respondents most exposed to influence materials were those arguably least likely to need influencing. All right. Very interesting. Uh, a couple things really quickly. Kabir Anes, squad member, says, what's the point if denial of service doesn't target your industrial control systems? Um, so, Kabir, I don't know. I'm assuming that's a, a legit question. Um, uh, just really quickly, um, by attacking the, the Ministry of Inter Internal Affairs and Ministry of Interior websites and stuff like that, you do a couple things. One, you erode confidence in the public's um, confidence in the government's ability to handle its business. You, It's kind of terrorism because you're striking fear in, in normal operations and um, you begin to cause, you know, kind of wholesale civic panic in some capacities. And then three, you're preventing government workers from being able to do their work because they're unable to access certain systems, which leads to inefficiencies, time constraints, miswork, uh, execution of contingency 
processes and procedures which probably aren't tested or documented, and it just leads to um, inefficiencies and issues. Uh, so, so that's why you'd do it. Um, okay, so Russian interference had no meaningful effect on 2016 elections. I find this very interesting personally, okay? So I always talk about the great hack, the Netflix documentary about Cambridge Analytica and how that they they were involved in the 2016 election uh, and interfering in it. Now, it was it was speculated that Cambridge Analytica was actually hired by, you know, the the Republican National Committee or the GOP or whatever you want to call it. Like it wasn't Russia hiring Cambridge Analytica. It was Cambridge Analytica being hired by um, the Republican Party. Speculative, right? I, I didn't I don't have the receipts, right? I didn't see the cleared checks, people. I'm just telling you what I've heard. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of input that there were Russian bot accounts. There was a lot of stoking of fires to get people all frothed up and start turning on themselves, right? Like the easiest way to destroy um, a very advanced civilization is to have them kind of destroy themselves internally, not to attack them externally because they're going to band together to defend a common enemy. So you have to have them fight each other. Okay. Now they said Russian interference had no meaningful effect. That is a bold claim. And for me, this is one of those research papers that I would like to read. Now, two things here, and I'm going to get a little nerdy. So chat, let me know if you want me to um, get off this story. But in academic research, there are a couple different um, techniques that you can use. And one of them is called a longitudinal study. And longitudinal studies are basically over time. They're, they're hard because normally you want to do a research paper, get it published, and move on to the next thing, right? You got to got to get that tenure track. So you got to get those papers, get them into conferences, and get going. Longitudinal studies take time because you basically need to um, con conduct some type of survey or data gathering or whatever at a point in time. And then you have to conduct the same exact research with the same exact participants at some point in the future. And what you're actually studying is the the change over that time period and what 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 factors uh, you know occurred at that during that time period and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Um like a perfect example would be to like if you if you could have like uh you know interview people in Ukraine about like how how the war is perceiving them, how it's impacting their life, and then interview them like 10 years from now and ask them the same questions, right? It's very, very painful. Or not painful, but like it's 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 very time consuming. Okay. Now that's what they said they did here. They interviewed people um back then and then now to talk to them about their beliefs, how they voted, what impacts that they had, and they identified people who had been exposed to um, Russia-backed propaganda tweets, and they discovered that it did not actually have any impact on their voting. To me, this is a this is a very interesting claim, but it's very important for this research to you like understanding what was their research methodology and what were the limitations of that methodology. Right? For example, if their entire population that they interviewed we're like 200 people in Iowa only, right? Well, that's kind of a, there's a limitation to that um, set, right? Or it was 200 people in California, right? Kind of to pick two states that are much different, right? Now, if it was 
you know, a thousand people in all 50 states were represented and all different age groups were uh, represented and different demographics were represented. Now you're getting a richer population that's probably more accurate of a claim like this. So to me, this is interesting. A lot of people don't even care right now, honestly, because this was six years ago and more people are concerned about like recession, inflation, how like layoffs. So, but anyways, I find this interesting. Definitely. To me, it's not about looking at the outcome of the report. It's looking at what their research methodology was and understanding if it is an actual sound, valid research methodology or if it is skewed and intentionally uh, misaligned um, in order to produce this outcome. You, By the way, final thing on this one, you should never, ever start a research project with the outcome in mind, right? A lot of these vendors do that, right? Like you're not supposed to say like, oh, you know what? Um, like, like I just made a claim a minute ago that distributed denial of service attacks are the common cyber war weapon in actual military conflicts. So if I did a research paper to look at and understand what were the weapons uh, used in military conflicts, I should not be looking to prove that what I said at the beginning before I did any research is accurate. You're supposed to be objective in your research and then come to conclusions, not have a conclusion and work your research into it. That's called that's called bad research. Russian linked APT targeted nuclear labs. Reuters sources say the Russian backed APT known as Cold River targeted the Brookhaven, Argoni and Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories between August and September 2022. The attackers created fake login pages for the facilities, sending spear phishing messages to scientists in an attempt to get login information. It's unclear if any of the attacks successfully gained access. This appears to be the latest politically motivated attack by the group. It previously operated phishing campaigns against NATO, leaked emails related to the UK's Brexit supporters, and ran cyber espionage campaigns against NGOs investigating war crimes. Should private companies... Yeah, okay, so, you know, whatever. Russia, when Russia took Ukraine, I mean, they took over essentially a, a bunch of uh, nuclear plants, including Chernobyl, if I'm not mistaken, right? I might be wrong on that. They definitely took over some nuclear plants because there was a whole hubbub about about that. Um, but hopefully in the United States, I know that to work in a nuclear plant, you need special clearance. I think it's like Department of Energy, like Q clearance or something like that. Um, for Russia to be targeting three nuclear facilities with spear phishing, um, they're trying to get into those systems. Again, nuclear is such a unique animal and very, very serious that you would hope that the security protocols at these plants, both for email and physical security and, you know, the detection technologies in place, you'd hope were top, top notch. So, I mean, the fact that they were able to identify this, um, and the re and the, the findings are coming out just a few months later is a, is a very promising discovery and report. So I'm happy to see that. Um, but you you never know. You don't know what you don't know what Russia's um, motivation was here, right? Was it? It could be everything from Stuxnet to like destroying nuclear plants, all the way to intellectual property theft because Russia now owns a bunch of nuclear plants and they they don't know what to do with them or how to manage them, right? I I I don't know, but I'm just saying, just because they're targeting nuclear research laboratories doesn't mean you know nuclear winters on the on the horizon. It just it just means that they were being targeted. Uh, hopefully they didn't get in. And if they did, they, they nipped him at the bud quickly.
Um, yeah. Google, Google pointed out that this is the first time that spies targeting NATO and military of Eastern Europe countries. Yeah. We live in a brand new world, guys. We live in a brand new world. Follow TikTok bans. Over at CSO Online, Christopher Burgess asked the question that if an increasing number of local, state, and federal government agencies are banning the popular social network app on government devices, why aren't private companies following suit? While a purely government ban might be construed as political optics, he also pointed out that a number of universities that serve as R&D hubs have also banned the apps on devices and networks. Burgess says CISOs should ask themselves what TikTok could potentially harvest from user devices that could put their organizations at risk. He cautions that this should be followed by due diligence into actual risks, but that a discussion on allowing the app on devices touching a corporate network is well overdue. This uh, yeah. Dude, I really feel like, okay, so TikTok, it's, it's installed in a million different places. Um, guys, it's, it's really... It's really difficult in 2022 to like have network segmentation, not not the true sense of network segmentation where here's like a, a, a medical device VLAN and here's an IoT VLAN and here's a you know network camera VLAN and here's the web server VLANs. Like it's where endpoints get on your systems. CFOs, you know, it's like making a deal with the devil. Okay. Here, like I'll get double use out of this graphic. Okay. This right here. Scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could or not. CFOs were so preoccupied with whether BYOD could work or not. Can we convince our employees to use their own devices, thus saving us millions of dollars in tech refresh? Yes, we can. Ooh. Great cash, homie. Without really giving consideration that you have no authority over what is installed on this device. This device could be all sorts of nasty malware all up in it. And guess what I'm doing? Connecting to your network behind your primary firewall. Bruh. But you know what? It's all about that cash money. All about that cash money. And what, what we're seeing is, and I mean, in the story, they talk about TikTok, but I mean, TikTok's an easy target because it's like it literally installed on many people's phones. But there's been a lot of concern of, you know, data privacy with TikTok. You know, obviously China runs it, but I mean... You know, I, I don't know, but like essentially you have software installed on your phone. Many of your end users have a software installed on their phone that while it does one thing, it could be used to do another thing, right? Like I'm not saying a backdoor on your devices, but you know, it it, it would be bad, right? It would be bad of China to detonate TikTok by essentially you know, flipping a switch and turning it into like, like, let's say they could turn it on and it could, it could like brick the phone of everyone who had it installed. Yeah. You could cause massive problems, um, you know, one day, but people would recover and then TikTok would be dead or you could turn it into a listening device or whatever. But it, it, it the, the thing is less about TikTok and more about installing software, uh, and having control over what's installed and what's turned on your network. I have seen certain uh, protocols where it's like, uh, if you want to be on this network, you, you have to install it, uh, MDM mobile device management on your phone and we can control what's on it and stuff like that. We can wipe it remotely. We can monitor your network traffic. I have seen zero instances where a mobile device has EDR installed on it, right? I've seen zero instances where telemetry from the phone is being pushed to a SIM or SOAR. 
I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Any sock analysts in chat? Jess Bishop, Stacy, Tom Pike, any of you who are sock analysts? Like, have you seen telemetry coming from mobile devices? I've seen Office 365 where you can log in and see mobile devices authenticating or where they come, where they're coming from geo geolocation wise. But I have not seen a mobile device treated like a Windows 7 machine, right? So it's kind of a perfect storm. You're installing SUS software on a device that doesn't have as much visibility uh, and control from a centralized security operations management perspective, right? It's not a problem yet, but it could be. This week on the CISO Series podcast. All right, so that's that. Let's do this. Yeah. All right, guys. So that's going to do it for today's stream. I want to remind everybody uh, at nine o'clock. So in seven minutes, I won't be able to uh, attend this because I have a private uh, appointment. But we introduce Andrew Bollinger, heavy equipment operator to cyber. This is the continuing series of roll to cyber. I have been doing this for weeks now. Stay at home mom to cyber retail to cyber pharmacist to cyber we got mechanic to cyber we're doing elementary teacher to cyber pretty soon i've been very very proud of this series this is the complete opposite of gaming the youtube algorithm and i don't even care i when i get people who are like i worked in a pharmacy and this inspired me to make the move it it makes my day it's why i do this literally this is what simply cyber is actually all about so check out Heavy Equipment Operator. I hope some of you can get over there. I'll drop a link in chat. Uh, share, share. I, I'd ask um, if you can, share it with your uh, network on social media, right? The idea is that somewhere there's somebody who's getting up at four in the morning, working 12 hour shifts on a, on a construction site, doing a, a bulldozer or a crane or something, working on the highway at night, doing one of those paving machines that would really like to spend more time with their family, that would really like to make more money, and they don't know how to get out of their job. This is a potential catalyst for them. So please share with your audience. Also, speaking of ChatGPT, guys, tomorrow I'll be streaming ThreatGen's Red versus Blue. And guess what? Clint Bodungeon has actually input all of ThreatGen Red versus Blue game engine rules, um, maps and everything into ChatGPT, and we're going to have ChatGPT be the CISO. <laughs> so we'll see how ChatGPT GPT does under attack from threat actors, but stay tuned for that. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the stream. I got two minutes of jaw jack in here. Good to see you, Left Coast Punter Joe. Kimberly, love it, love it, love it. Chiller Instincts up in here. Tom Bishop, my man. Have a great day, Eric Hildebrandt. Good to see you. Thanks, squad members. Wow. Definitely appreciate the super chats coming in. That was very kind of you. Congratulations to Joel Belton on winning the OSINT challenge, guys. Stay tuned tomorrow. I'll be raffling off another one, OSINT using recon. Definitely enjoyed it. Definitely enjoyed it. Have a good one. Good to see you, Carrie. Stormwalking, my pleasure. Fabio, take it easy. Haircut fish, on to bigger and better, my friend. That's what we're doing with that's what we're doing with haircut fish's job.
out the door with it. Later, Emilio Garcia. Take it easy, Jennifer. Shiny buttons. Arturo, ChatGPT's down. No problem. That, that's what happens when, like, ChatGPT's constantly experiencing an accidental denial of service attack. Take it easy, Christopher Thomas. Have a great day. Yep. Jeff Wittal is up in here. Aaron KG. I saw your message, Aaron. I'll, I'll have to get to that later. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Joel Belton. With all the work from home remote stuff, I would not think of an issue on a local network. Maybe more intrigued with TikTok's getting from the phone directly. Yeah, that's a good point, BSEC. Have a blessed day. Yep. Thank you, Level Up Goddess. Thank you, Navina. Always good to see you, Navina. Nathan Bolin. <laughs> Chat GPT, Dosh yourself. Leonardo, take care, man. Leonardo, miss you on the uh, the haiku streams, man. It's been a minute. All right, I'll I'll check my um, my DMs, Dan. Be good to yourself and others. Smart words, David. Chinadu, always nice. Jeremy Williams on the boo boo bus. All right, guys, take care. We'll see you in the next one. And until next time, stay secure. Yeah. <laughs>